The strongest stars have hearts of Kaiba. I'm going with the force of forces with me. That's not how the Force works. Well, that starts somewhere. Welcome back to the KyberCast, everybody. This is episode 20, The Joker. We are going to get into some really heavy stuff here about the Joker and have a spoiler-filled episode. And joining me in this spoiler-filled episode is my good friend, Michael Diaz. Michael, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing tonight, Joe? I'm excited. Michael and I got together to see this movie last night, and we started talking in the parking lot. We had to save everything we could for this episode. And again, if it's if you have not seen the movie uh, Joker then I suggest you strongly not listen for now until you see the movie because this will be filled with spoilers. We're going to try and dive in deep and get into this film. And from what I see, there's going to be some differences between Michael and I. Oh, yeah, 100% because as usual, Joe and I do not agree. I thought we would on this one, but we do not agree on this one. And I guess we'll start right off the bat. I mean... I personally thought the film was very, very good. Um, definitely worth my time. I thought it was a great adaption of what this person could be. There's been many iterations of the Joker that we've seen. And I know that we know some of the reference material. And I think that's why Michael is having some difficulty with this film. Right, Michael? I don't know if it's the reference material so much, but... Yeah, I definitely had some difficulty with this movie, and it, and it wasn't due to the violence. In fact, people have warned, there's been a lot of warning that this, this movie could be triggering, that this movie is very violent. And I'm not going to lie, there are some violent moments. But that said, I've seen um, I've seen far more violent movies, far more gratuitously, gratuitously violent movies. And there are some violent scenes in this, no question, but... I didn't think it was any more violent than other R-rated action films. So, yeah, I, I'm just talking about the violence right now, obviously. But I here's the thing. I don't want to jump in and just say what problems I had with the film. Because, spoiler alert, Michael had problems with the film. Joe loved it, so let me start with what I loved about the film, okay? Let's start with the positive. Number one... Joaquin Phoenix was fantastic. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. And he totally went, you know, full on method actor in this role, dropped like 40 pounds. I mean, he wasn't Christian Bale in The Machinist, super scrawny, but he was definitely very thin. So I applaud him, dedication to his craft. He was, he gave a fantastic performance. This, this is. Do you think it's Oscar worthy? I was just going to say that's what I'm kind of stumbling on. Is it Oscar bait? I think so. I uh, think so. I think 100. percent Why not? Like, here's the thing. If this is kind of maybe leading the cart before the horse, but if this movie didn't say Joker, there would take a lot of baggage away from it, and people would say, "What a what a performance of this guy that 
delves into a psychosis that takes him into a really dark place. It's because the name Joker's attached to it, you're going to get fanboys really into this movie and saying, well, that's not what it should be, or it's this or that. And I think that's where a lot of people are going to go wrong. And I think that, to me, come into this movie with an open mind and not so much of canon or backstory or things you've learned over the last 20-some years about what the Joker is. And I think people will see this movie differently. But I, echoing I, your thing, Joaquin, there's no denying that he had a fantastic performance. There's no denying that from anyone. No, he he was fantastic in this. I mean, he gave us a Joker we haven't quite seen before. It was more of a marriage of the kind of I don't I. When I say this, I don't mean campy, but there was a hint of a theatricality and old schoolness, much like the Cesar, uh, Cesar Romero, yeah, Cesar Romero Joker, but coupled also with kind of the darker aspects of the Nicholson Joker. So now. I'm not going to compare him to Heath Ledger because let's get this right out the gate. I'm going to tell you, no one in the foreseeable future is going to top Heath Ledger as Joker. That is the gold standard as far as I'm concerned. Do you agree, Joe, or do you think this is now up there? Oh, it's up there. This one's definitely up there. I think this is different, though. We saw, I'm going to liken this to a little bit of Casino Royale. Hear me out. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Go ahead. Well, in Casino Royale, he wasn't really James Bond yet. No, no, was, not at all. Not at right. all. Right. So that's what I mean. And in this movie, he wasn't Joker yet. When you get to Dark Knight Returns, he's full-fledged Joker. Like, there is no... He's already the psychotic. You don't feel empathy or anything towards this. He's a psychotic, you know, psychopath. He's a killer. He's a bad, bad person. And and he's killed it. It was, fan, it was a great, great role and it was one dimensional there was no changing of his character he didn't change from the beginning of the film to the end of the film he had no character arc he was just the joker it was great but that's not what joaquin did joaquin started at point a and ended at point b it's a totally different acting thing that he had to do so to me he became you we only saw 20 minutes of the joker if that, really? If right? That, yeah. So it's unfair to say he's not as good because he didn't play Joker for 20 minutes. The rest was a totally different person. Uh, I think it's fair. No, it's not. <laughs> it's he's not. Gonna, he had 20 minutes. He's in a movie called Joker. It's fair. He plays Joker. He's Joker. Coincidentally, I've seen some similarities to Heath Ledger's when he's in the car and he's kind of got his head toward the window and... He reminded me a lot of Heath Ledger at the end, towards the end there in the cop car. I mean, I in the, kind of, kind of the same smile that he saw, uh, which we'll get into. We'll get into the end of that. Um, so yeah, number th- one for me, yes, I thought Joaquin was fantastic in this role. Num- number two for me, I thought the cinematography was fantastic. The way the film is shot. The way they linger on certain scenes, the way the camera moves, for the most part, it's very well done. They put you 
where they want you to look. And sometimes just the way they stage um, Joaquin, or in this case, you know, the Joker. Arthur. Arthur, thank you. Um, the way they stage him in some of the scenes where he's kind of off-center and whatnot. and mm-hmm. it, It's interesting because that's who he is in the movie for a bit, or in his life, in that he is not... He's not centered, if you will. He's he's on the fringe. No. So there are no. many scenes where they, you see him, and he's not centered. He's always on. He's not always, but there are many scenes where he's on the fringe of the screen, and there's something you know very psychological and symbolic about that, and it's it's good. It's it's very very well filmed. I give it that. One hundred percent. The cinematography is fantastic. Now it does. Um, I know we'll get into this as we talk about it. It was definitely a homage to 70s grit films even opening the film with the 70s warner brothers logo that's intentional that's telling everybody that are probably our age and a little bit older that it's thinking about that era of film in that era of filmmaking when you're talking about um taxi driver and king of comedy and apocalypse now and all these movies that were clockwork orange This was a time in our history post-Vietnam and the country did not feel very calm. There was a lot of things happening. It was very negative, which ironically spurred Star Wars that you may have heard in other podcasts that 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 was kind of the opposite at that time. But at, you know, Taxi Driver, that was a product of his time. It showed what was happening then. And I think Part of what happened then is happening now in our divisiveness between classes, races, um, political beliefs at all. That was a bit of commentary of going back to that time when film talked about that and, and, and held a mirror up. It didn't say what was good or bad or what was right or wrong. It just held a mirror up to what was happening now. And that cinematography back then was very gritty and colorful, but almost a um, a saturation to the color that's different than reality. And that's what this film did. And to counter that feeling of uneasiness, I mean, the film, to me, I felt uneasy from shot one to shot to the last shot. The Also, what made the film remarkable is that Arthur Fleck was in every shot. He was in every scene. There was no scene without Joaquin Phoenix in it. That's a that's a cool decision because if you look at a lot of films, they'll go away from the main character to build up side stories and whatnot. You followed him through the whole film, and that made things really tense. I, I was tense the entire time watching that movie. See, you bring up Taxi Driver. You bring up uh, Apocalypse Now. You bring up all these character pieces, all this these fantastic and classic Mm -hmm. films, cinema of the seventies and eighties. And yeah, this movie uses a lot of tropes of those classic seventies, eighties character pieces, noir, however you want to call them. You know, the the way it's filmed, the way it looks, it appears to be one of those films. Um, And I think Todd Phillips was trying to make this an homage of some sort. I mean, he borrows very, very heavily even story beats from King of Comedy. Yep, absolutely. But for me, it's a facsimile of those things. 
and it's lacking the heart and the soul and the talent behind those other films from which it borrows. Uh, see, I don't see that. I think it's just, you know, those films also borrow for all the way down to Shakespeare. There was nothing technically new in those films other than we have never seen that brought to life in a very adult way, so to speak. I get that. Even back then. All art borrows and great art steals. Sure. Um, but but I, I don't I fail to see why you think what you said. I, I don't I don't understand. Help me understand. Help our listeners understand. I why do you think there's no heart? Because the whole film is about getting in your face and saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And you pay attention and the film doesn't say anything. Oh, I disagree. What do you mean? I don't, I guess I don't. I, I, I found it hollow. I don't think it actually has a point. I don't think it says anything. What was the point of Taxi Driver? So we're not talking about Taxi Driver. Right? Well, I want, I want, well, you said it's a bad homage to it. So I want to, I want to find out what those had so I can try and see oh, what this one has. Taxi Driver, you're not, you caught me a little bit off because well, it was a descent. It was a descent into madness. He was the same. It was very similar to this movie, of course. Yeah, and it's a descent into madness, and he becomes a serial killer. And that's another problem I have with it is that, yes, the Joker kills, but in this film, he's just a serial killer. The Joker, as he should be, uses mind games. To totally fuck with you as much as possible. Case in point. Look at The Killing Joke. Which is an mm-hmm. origin story for the Joker. Or Joker, however you want to refer to him. When he comes in. Shoots Barbara Gordon. Paralyzing her. Spoiler alert. This comic came out over 20-30 years yeah, ago. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. If you didn't know that already, I'm sorry to ruin it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. It's out there. <laughs> Shoots Barbara Gordon and then undresses her and they take horrible photos of her while she's wounded. And then as he's torturing her father, Commissioner Gordon, he's got all these pictures flashing up. His The Joker is going to kill. Yes, there's no question about that. But first, he has to mentally and psychologically torture and destroy you. That's what the Joker does. Now I get that this is the origin of the Joker, but he's not the. I was going to say he's not the Joker in this. But he's okay. he's not. He starts with the murder of the you know uh, Wall Street Bros. Was it murder? There was some self defense there. I'll grant you that. Okay, but I, I you know if he had stopped with the first two that he shot, or even the third, but he, he turned to murder the second he hunted him down. And put him down on the stairs. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make a case, but I'm saying that, well, once you kill those two, you might want to kill the third one so no one tells who you were. <laughs> so he's being a little smart there. Maybe. Well, no, I mean, let's think of Bernie Getz here. I mean, he was being attacked and he, yeah. his, he, you know, had he stopped right then and there with the first two? I mean, yes, he wounded the third, but if he had let him go, I think he had a case for self-defense. But that's not it. When he killed those people, for him, the Joker, it felt right. And it was what, you know, it made him who he was. It made him feel 
no longer impotent. It made him feel like he existed. Mm-hmm. He found that murder made him feel alive, for lack of a better term. So then he obviously, you know, he he, he kills some other people. We don't see it, but we assume that he kills his neighbor and her daughter. I wasn't sure. I I don't assume that. That one's up in I, the air. Um, that's I don't. My, I, I I don't assume that only because of. Well, we're jumping around already, but only because he let his little friend go. And there was something in him that had a little empathy still at that time. I see that, but. And I don't think he, I, in my head tells me that he did not. Like I left the theater thinking he did not do that. See, I left the theater thinking he definitely did. Mm-hmm. Regardless, he obviously kill, kills uh, Robert Nero's Murray character right on, you know, on screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's murder. No question. That was, that was, that he was becoming the Joker. That was his, I'm going to be the Joker now. But then even the last scene of the movie where he's talking to his therapist, wherever she is in the room, Mm -hmm. and then he walks away with leaving those bloody footprints. Again, that's just murder. So, I don't know. I, I, I get it's an origin story, but they've reduced the Joker from an agent of chaos to just a boring serial killer. Well, he hasn't done it yet. Like, yeah, I think you're expecting you're expecting a little much from where this was. It was I knew it was going to end with him first becoming the Joker. So I I had no expectations of him becoming the plotting villain that he becomes later on. Like to me that happens in Arkham he kind of becomes what he is and creates these schemes I think that will happen later let's but let's talk about the character then let's talk about the character arch of the film and and some of the distractors or what's happening in the press right now is saying well we don't want to have empathy for these type of people did you have empathy for him did you feel empathy or sympathy for him and when if you did when did it stop or did it not stop and if it did stop where did it stop I did feel empathy for him because let's face it he never had a chance he was adopted we don't know from whom in fact there's a lot we don't know about his whole upbringing let's face it Thomas Wayne was a billionaire what his mother said could have in fact been true that maybe maybe he actually was Thomas Wayne's illegitimate son. I don't oh, think so. Regardless, I, it could it's possible he was rich enough to make it go away and change the records. Now, I'm going to operate right now under the assumption that he was really adopted, was not Thomas Wayne's son. Yes. He was adopted, so obviously he someone gave him up. And then he was raised by his mother, who obviously had her own issues or had her own mental illness. And horrible, horrible things happened to him. It never comes right out and says it, but his condition, I believe, comes from the fact that he was abused as a child. Um, oh, they did say it. I mean, they said, you know, that that was going to happen. Well, no, they said he then, had his, his yeah. condition, but then they also said that he had all kinds. He was abused by her mother's, well, by his mother's boyfriend. Right. They didn't come right out and say this is why he has the condition, but one can, you know, see between the lines. They're probably attached. They're probably connected. So. Yeah, he, he's he's born in terrible circumstances, is adopted by a woman who has her own mental health issues, and then he just 
the guy can't win. He can't win. He's, and then, you know, the funding is taken away from what little therapy and um, medicine he is getting. Yeah, I empathize with him until he put down that third Wall Street bro. That's when the empathy went away. Was there any part of like, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound wrong, but I didn't think those guys deserved to die, but I did want them to get beat up or something, right? Right. Because they're frat boy assholes that, you know, everybody, you know, people like me that have grew up small and kind of bullied through high school and things. Let's face it. I I am not small. I'm a large man, but we're, we're both geeks. So seeing, you know, bros like that get, get some, get their own. I don't have a problem with that. And I wouldn't even have a problem if the theme of the movie was, you know, take down or kill the rich. I'm okay with that theme. There is a huge disparity, a, a chasm between the haves and the have nots in the, in the world, let alone the U S. So if that's where they went with it and that was the theme, I would have been okay with that. Now. Yeah. I, I had empathy for him, but I said, when he, chase that guy down yeah some of us have probably had these thoughts like oh man he got his he deserved right. it but if we're thinking you know realistically okay that's that's where he crossed the line because after that then he goes to the public restroom and starts dancing you know obviously he found his purpose in life which was murder so that's i mean we, we all have fantasies of oh someone wronged me i want to wrong them back and at least the same amount or worse than they wronged me. Everyone feels that at some point. But right. when he actually goes through it and goes to the nth degree and puts the guy down, the third bro. I mean, yeah, there's a catharsis. And knowing that it's not real. Okay, I can still stay on board for a bit. But realistically, I think that's where my empathy kind of stopped. Because that was when he started going down his path he can't turn back it- it, it was definitely the crossroads for sure. I think, you know, as a character from the get go, I mean, for sure you feel horrible for him when, you know, four kids beat him up, take a sign. Then he gets, you know, picked on for not having the sign by his boss. And, this, you know, every situation where you were something you think might good happen, it doesn't happen. And he's constantly hit with this. And you feel like he's been like that his whole life. I mean, even as small as the scene as it was, it was a big scene for me. It was him on the bus and he's just trying to play with that kid, you know? Now, oh, yeah, he's that, a creep. That was, that was a great scene. That was He's a he's a creepy looking guy. I mean, obviously, um, but at the same time, he wasn't doing anything and he's got this disorder. This I really like that the laughing disorder. Like that's kind of a new element that was that was never brought to the Joker that I remember. That the psychosis of like he that's how he deals with um, unpleasantness. He has an uncontrollable laugh, which and he had that card that he handed her. Please. And it said, please give me the card back. And it, she didn't. You know, it's like even that little thing, like he couldn't even get his card back. This person was just like, you know, stepping on him and he can't win. He just can't win at all. And, you know, it, it was very sad. I mean, the first good 35, 40 minutes, it's just sad. He's just it's just a sad thing. And watching this descent into to madness or 
hyper reality really became very intense for me watching it. It was just, I, I, and again, that goes back to the beginning of this podcast where Joaquin was fantastic. But that being said, with him getting darker and darker, I think it was just him testing who he wants to be. I don't think he even quite knows who Joker is, even at the end. And when we see things through Joaquin, like he or Arthur Fleck's view, we don't really know what's reality. That That's really what pushed this movie to me was like, I wasn't sure who the narrator was in terms of like who were picking sides from. But as you watch the film, you get to see that it is him bringing you through this film with his visions. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I thought this is pretty peculiar. Why would this girl even be remotely interested in him? It didn't feel right from the get go. Come to find out it wasn't right. It was all psychosis. It was all in his mind. It was all in his mind. So we don't really know as a viewer at the end what was even real. Right. We don't know any of it. Right. I mean, even even when he was remember when he, when he was given the handgun. Yeah. What the guy said to him, hey, we got to protect ourselves. But then later, um, his boss at the, at the clown shop or whatever it was, was like, yeah, so and so says he sold you a gun and you stole him money. So who's lying? Did it actually did he actually say that? And, you know, Arthur heard it differently because of his uh, mental illness. Because right. we already established that we can't trust him. He's He is the focal point of the movie, but we can't necessarily trust him. And that's kind of an issue, which I'm okay with that uh, as a as a you know cinematic uh, device. Right. And it made things interesting because, like you said, you, know, you, you, you don't know what's real and what's not. Some things you think are real, but you're not 100% on everything. But what is real? Okay, so what really brought me, what really galvanized me for this film, and it's probably a an odd thing, maybe, but the score of the film, to me, was so, so good. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up, because this was going to be the third thing I said. This Hilder Good, Goodenadot, I can't say her. It's Icelandic. I can't say her last name. I apologize. I can try, but I will totally butcher it, but yeah, the score. You're, you're, you're talking about the score, right? Not the soundtrack. Absolutely. Yeah, the yeah. score, not the soundtrack. Yeah, the score was fucking perfect. And the reason I say that is it, it's so much part of the character is like even when things are happening that you think might be positive for him, there is the undertone of a cello that is just a storm brewing. And you know that it's wrong. Like he's like something is wrong. And I want to see this movie again to pick up, I believe, probably more clear signs of like this is not real or that is real based off of what we've already seen but that score is you know it was i think a, a, a nod to um the heath ledger joker and and dark knight returns with that music where that music had that high pitched sound every time the joker was there and it made you just feel this tension it's it's much different in this movie but it was that low cello that was always there always present that just made you feel uneasy and knowing that there's this storm brewing and it's going to break. And that really propelled the story through. It, it was so, so good. Oh, I, I agree a hundred percent. And it's weird, but 
I mean, obviously, you can't see the color of music unless, obviously, you have Synthanasia, which is completely off topic. But the point is, the music sounds dark and gloomy, and it fits so well. It just gives this weird feeling of foreboding. And yeah. A- apparently, this woman, Hilder, again, um, she scored some other thing. Uh, apparently, she uh, did the score for Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries. Oh, I didn't see that. I haven't seen it either, but I've seen she's done a couple other things, and she did a piece for uh, Arrival, or is that yeah, Arrival, a movie that from a couple years back that I absolutely adore. Oh, that's a great movie too. Absolutely yeah. adore that movie. Yeah, um, very good. She movie. also and also another film she worked with with Dennis uh, Villeneuve was um, uh, Sicario. She oh, she did that? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I don't know why I didn't. And Revenant. I'm looking her up right now. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't. I've seen all those films other than the Chernobyl miniseries. And I don't know why she didn't jump out at me before. And maybe, I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, the score was there and it was good. And you only really, really notice the score sometimes when it's something super awesome, like uh, like a John Williams score or something like that. Not to say right. that. I'm just saying that there's some people that are out there that are doing Fantastic. This isn't as iconic. Like you're not going to hear an iconic theme that you're going right, to hear. Right, right, right. Like, character theme. Right. It's that's not why. John Williams. It's not Danny Elfman. Right. But for this particular film, she is absolutely the perfect fit. And for whatever reason, the music jumped out at me, and probably in part of the way they used it. Um, mm-hmm. I actually read an interesting article on NPR relating to that that murder, that first set of bro murders, mm-hmm. when and um. She actually wrote a piece before they filmed it, the film, filmed the movie, um, when she knew she had the job and she was trying to get a feel for the, the, the Joker and she had read the script. So she wrote this piece and she gave it to Todd Phillips. And that is the music they played over and over while they shot that scene of the Joker in the public bathroom when he starts dancing post-murder. Wow. And Good find. I didn't know that. I, I stumbled across it today when I when I wanted to look her up and listen to some more of her music. So what was interesting about that is Todd Phillips says that they were originally going to film that scene very differently, but her music affected it in such a way that they used it and they played it over and over. So, you know, when you see Joaquin, you know, dancing and doing the gyrations, he's actually moving along to the score that's playing because they played it during that scene over and over. So it was a nice melding of the atmospheric music with the atmospheric scene in the bathroom. It all really came together and it really, that really jumped out at me. And because of that, I've looked her up and now I've downloaded one of her albums and it's all very disturbing, but I like it. So I'm glad you brought her up because that was one of the things I absolutely loved about this movie. So, the descent of the character, I thought, was an effective story arch. Do you do you agree with that or no? What do you mean exactly? The, it was his 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 journey from A to B. It was it was fine. It was fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm you know I don't know I, you know so to me when I went into this film. I, 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 it's kind of like when Luke goes into the cave, you bring in with you what you want, right? You either bring the weapon with you or you don't. Right, right. You'll get whatever you bring in, you're going to you're gonna take with you. So 
I went into this film. I didn't read any reviews. I don't like to read reviews before I go into a film. I, I like to get my own thoughts before somebody else taints them or put something in my head that wasn't there going in. What I had in my own head going in was going to be a small film, almost like a play. And I think that's why the film worked for me and maybe not so much for you. I think for me, as I went in, it was like I expected nothing big. I expected a, a very small character study, almost like a Sam Shepard play where it's just some weird shit that's going to happen to a person that in, in, an, in, uh, in a very small time and space. I was expecting zero kind of comic book grandiose type thing. I had no expectation of that. Um, only because I guess I did bring some of that into me because what I read like a year ago when they said they were contemplating this thing, that it was going to be a, a different kind of comic book film and it was going to be that thing. But and I, and I think that's what I got. And that's probably why I enjoyed it. It was a small character study. It was not heavy on anything, you know, no effects, none of the same crazy explosions and things like that. Um, I, 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 I got what I kind of expected. I'm trying to figure out what you expected and I I want you to kind of like walk me through what your expectations are because I, they were not met from what I understand, but I want you to tell me why, like what, what are the expectations? What did you have going in? I, I don't really know what I expected other than um, I knew this was not really going to be a typical comic book movie, if you will. And I was okay with that. I have no problem with exploring the dark side of the character. And I, I usually like that. Um, I went in with a pretty open mind. I heard all the buzz after the Venice Film Festival, but then I did see that there were some negative reviews. Now, the reviews I did read were spoiler-free. Um, now, that said, I did read a review um, from a gentleman at NPR who I would name drop him right now, but I don't remember his name off the top of my head. The point is, uh, I read the review, and he did not like the film. But for me, usually when I when he reviews something, I feel the opposite. So I kind of expected, even though it was a negative review of the film, I don't think it tainted me as much as people might assume because because of the critic in question, I naturally assumed that I was actually going to enjoy the movie that much more. I didn't. In fact, I found I ended up agreeing with this critic who... Um, I'll find out who it is, but any the point is, I I really didn't go in with any expectations, other than it was going to be. They made a huge point about this is not a comic book movie. It's not going to be like a comic book movie, and that's how it is. And I was okay with that. And they make such a big deal of it in the movie that it's not a comic book movie, but then they have a few forced comic book movie connections. That makes me go, so are you a comic book movie or not? Well, I mean, you and I both know that what is a comic book in, anymore? Like, there's so many different types of comic book genres and, and things like that, that quite frankly, anything can be a comic book movie nowadays. It's, it's you know, I'm reading a great um, comic book series called Thumbs right now, which is an interesting take on what the future might be but it's it's comic book but it's just it's no different than if it was a novel that was written i would have no you know in my head it's not any different other than there's pictures to it so i don't know what a comic book movie is anymore i think what what maybe hollywood thinks or what these reviewers think which 
nine times out of ten, I don't care what any of them say because they don't read the comic books or anything, anyways. Um, they they think comic book is 1950s Superman still, and DC and Marvel and just some bubblegum stuff. Well, I, and I would say it that, hasn't been like that. It hasn't been like that since I was a kid. I would say that's a, a pretty true criticism. 15, 20 years ago, um, the the critic in this in this particular case, I, I looked him up. His name is Glenn Weldon, and he's actually written a book both on Superman and Batman. He is a Batman expert. Um, and his review is basically says the Joker is wild. Lee Doe. <laughs> and a minute, like I said, I usually, whenever I read his, his critiques or listen to him on the uh, NPR pop culture podcast, I usually disagree with him. So when he came out and said that, no, this movie falls flat, I fully expected to love it. And I didn't. And I just think, I like I said, I love Joaquin in this film. His great acting. Cinematography, fantastic. The score is great. They've got some awesome other actors in here. There's really some good performances. But I think the sum of its parts don't add up to a whole that's really worth it. I think it's just... I found it to be empty and weightless. And empty of what? Like, like empty, like, I, I guess... What's the, I found no point to it. Hmm. I'm trying to find what point you're looking for. Like, give me a... Give me a reason. Like, what point... What? what why Why does there need to be a point, I guess? What? What is... There's no point to Star Wars. Zero. Yeah, there is. It's the no, there isn't. It's a hero's journey. But it's not a point. It's just a. It's a. It's a journey. This is a a, a villain's journey. Meh. I mean, there's not. There's no point to it. I'm just. You asked me, and there's I'm, no point. There's no point to the Dark Knight either. Yeah, there is. There's no point. What's the point of Dark Knight? Point of Dark Knight is to show that Batman is a force of order, a force of justice. Yeah, but he's always been that. So that's what. That's not a point to the movie. I thought so. This movie says a lot, and it says a lot of it loudly, but it says a whole lot of nothing. Hmm. I totally disagree. I think it says a lot about, let's say, let's take the topical things of the day. There's a few things. Now, it doesn't pick one and run with it. It picks a lot of things, and I think a lot of people can watch it and pick their thing that might be the point of the film. One is maybe classism. One, maybe mental illness is not being talked about correctly in this country. Uh, race is not being handled still after all these years in this country. You have politicians that say one thing and do another. That could be the point as well. I think there's just a lot of points and things are falling apart. I think the whole point of the film to me was like things can fall apart quickly if you don't put them in check. So that was the point to me is like, if, if, if all these things keep happening, you're, it, it's going to break and this is how things can break. I don't know how much plainer the point can be. I mean, if you wanted a, a pure simple film on just mental illness, then I don't think this is the film I, I you know, or whatever. I think no, it no. Was, if you want that film, you go watch taxi driver. Cause that's how it's done. Right. Well, I think this is more than taxi driver. No, it is so much less. No, I think it's a bigger, th- not bigger. It's 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 different. I mean, it's already got baggage. Like I said, it's got baggage of a of a comic book character that's been around for years and years and years. 
and everybody kind of like wants it it's kind of like it's almost futile to make a film these days to to please everyone because everybody goes in and says I don't like it because it's not what I wanted and and that's the problem with Star Wars fans like that's not what I wanted so it's bad that's not necessarily true it's just not what you wanted I think this film was very very good I don't think um but I didn't go in there wanting anything that's the thing I don't think this film was very good you brought up all those points that makes all those different viewpoints but it never makes it didn't have a viewpoint on it. It just, it, it just, it held a mirror up to so many things. I think we're, we're, it, we're supposed never, to make our own point. Yeah. I, I our own re we're, yeah, we're supposed to find our own reality in that. Not give it to me. I, I think, I don't know. I, I think it brings up a lot of topics, but it doesn't know. The movie doesn't know what it wants to be other than Todd Phillips wants to be or wants to create a taxi driver, a king of comedy, something along those lines. And like I said, he, he borrows heavily from them. He gets it most of the way there, but he just doesn't, he doesn't stick the landing. Uh, I disagree. I think his, the, the whole point of this was just to get to the Joker. I, I think the other things play into it, but I think the, the, what he wanted to do was create a Joker and he did that and he did it effectively. I don't think he set out to make Taxi Driver or King of Comedy. I think he he used those tropes for sure, no doubt about it. They're out there, but I don't think he said I want to make the a better Taxi Driver. I don't think that's that's what it was at all. I think it was like I need to get the Joker from A to B. How do you do that? What what takes one to do that? You know. I, hmm. I'm glad you liked it. I just I found it lacking. That's interesting. I just like I said, I mean, I wanted to love it. I I was really excited after the buzz after Venice, but so let's dive into. Well, here's the thing. So, part of it is, I don't want a Joker origin story. I don't need a Joker origin story. It's fine that he has one. Even the Killing Joke, as fantastic as it is. The, the good part of the story, I mean, finding out how he became Joker is interesting. The, the best part of the story is what's happening in the quote-unquote present. And the killing joke is just one possible origin story for the Joker. And again, you have to remember that your narrator, the Joker, is insane. And you can't really believe everything he says. It's kind of exactly. like this film. So this is a possible origin story for him. But you know what? I don't need an origin story because the Joker, he works best when he's just a force of nature, when he's an agent of chaos. I don't need to know about his crazy mom. I don't need to know uh, that he's had a shit life. I don't need to know any of that stuff. I mean, it's, it's fine if you can do it well, but it's really hard to do a Joker origin story and, this came really close to being really good. But again, I don't, that's why, like you said earlier, you know, Ledger is, is perfect because you don't need the origin. Even in that film, though, he makes several references to possible origins. But you know what? None of them are real or all of them are real. We don't know. And that's the thing because you don't need his origin story because the Joker should just be a primal force of chaos he is the adversary 
and that's all he needs to be. Well, let's let's. I want to. I want. There's a couple of things I want to cover cover before we go too long on this particular podcast. There's two things I want to cover. One, the first one is I want to talk about the ending from the talk show on, and then I want to talk about what it means for Batman canon and what they brought into it. So, I I really enjoyed, in a way, the whole talk show on. I mean, you knew it was coming. And that's a lot of that to me reminding me of uh, Dark Knight Returns when I, I believe Joker was on the talk show on that. Correct? Am I wrong? A, yeah, he was on a David Letterman-esque yeah. uh, talk show. Yeah. But even that. So was, that's pulled from there. Even that for sure. better though. I don't know if it's better. It's different because it was a different time. That was kind of like an old Joker that was allegedly reformed. But I did, I did like how they did this. And because part of him was right. The part of him when he was giving a speech was like, you didn't you didn't bring me on here because you cared. He brought me on here to make fun of me to to, to do these things, which yep. he did. Yeah, he did. He, and he was going to use it for him. So it was like basically f you. Um, you know, not saying he deserved to get shot. He did not deserve to get shot. Everybody, right, but he's I'm like, not, I'm okay. not, I'm not your monkey. I'm not going to entertain you like you want me to be. Like you want me to entertain you. I I love that part. Yeah, I I thought from that moment on was phenomenal and then so he gets arrested and thrown into this cop car and he sees this crowd of people like just going nuts outside in this chaos and what's happening downtown blah 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 they get hit by an ambulance which looks like it's been driven by a joker fan because nobody knows he's the joker yet and he's pulled out almost like a prophet of the car he's been laid out on the hood and oh, yeah, this whole place is going nuts and he wakes oh, up yeah. and he's standing and he's got this great crowd i don't think any of that was real really i i see what you're i don't there. there there was definitely a lot of uh symbology as as if they were you know removing christ from the crypt the way they were handling the body right right so you don't think any of that was real I don't. I think that was him. That was him thinking it was real because that, because after all that happens, he's just in Arkham. Oh, you make a good point. Because right, like he, they didn't show him get arrested. He could have. They, why didn't they take him away and hide him if they loved? You know what I mean? I think that was all in his mind. Look what I did. These people love me, and I will be back there again someday. I will get there. But he. But the the next cut was he was in Arkham Asylum, or Arkham State Hospital, as they said in this film. Right. Right. So that leads me to believe that that none of that really happened. In his head, it happened. And look what I look what I did. I got these people. They loved me. They finally saw the audience, and they loved what I did. And because basically, he wanted someone to give him positive feedback. That's really what. Right, but again, what he was looking for. That's not the Joker I know. Joker, not yet. Joker doesn't. Give that, that's me. what I'm saying. Is not yet. Yeah, Joker doesn't give a shit about adulation. I don't think he does later on. I, I again, I think. This is where I think you're clouding it. He's not Joker. He is at the end. I don't think he was. No, he's he's he is much Joker at the end as as James Bond was at the end of Casino Royale. Oh, by the end of Casino Royale, he is James Bond. No, in, not really. The, not not until the beginning of the next film. The, the less said about Quantum of Solace, the better. True, but I mean, he was not James Bond at the end of Casino Royale. He was he, just he just became. He starts off not James Bond. That he is a cold blooded killer at the beginning, but by the end of the film, he is James Bond. 
okay, the last two scenes, maybe. Okay. Same with the Joker I mean, that's, here. The Joker is... Exactly. You're making my point. No, but he's not no, even... Not because by then he is the Joker, so he should give zero fucks about adulation. Because that's not the Joker. Joker doesn't give a shit about that. Well, no. I don't know if... I, I don't know if it was the adulation. I mean, I think he enjoyed having the chaos happening at the end, looking around and seeing what he did to uplift things. And I think that's what's going to propel him. Like, this is really what I want to be. Like, oh, that's that's what I need to do. Not just the adulation, but I think the crowds that he saw that what he did was in his head. Again, I don't think that the crowds really were there. I think he was taken directly to Arkham, but in his head, that's how he wanted it played out. Uh and I think that's ultimately what he finds out. That that's ultimately what he wants to become while he's in Arkham. That's that's my take. I don't, you know, I could be wrong. If I had Todd Phillips, he'd probably say you're an idiot. You know, what are you talking about? That was all real. Well, that's that's a, that's a valid take. You're right because you can't trust the Joker. You know, and if he's the he's our focal point, he's our he's the, the lens through which we see the movie. You could very well be because if you cut that scene out. From just show him driving in the cop car, and then the next scene is him in Arkham. It works because that whole ambulance crashing into the cop car and the pulling him out and the crowd surrounding him and him dancing on the hood that seems very fantastical. So you could very well be right. I can see how you can see it that way. So what about the let's let's go to the the white elephant in the room and that's Batman and Bruce Wayne and the only thing that brought you to what I believe is the comic book side of the film was the tie-ins to the Wayne family and Gotham and and Batman now if we're to believe what happened which something happened that whatever Joker did off this television show and caused and sight of this riot led to Bruce Wayne's parents being killed by somebody wearing a, a, a clown mask. Not, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget now, but it's Joe, Joe Chill, Flef, Joe Chill who, who shot allegedly in, in at least the, 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 some of the canon of Batman. Now, are you, I'm totally fine with that. If that's, if that's the canon they want to do for this later on, if there is another one, we can talk about that before we finish the podcast. But, I, I, you know, throwing the Zorro, the gay blade is interesting to me. That was a, a nice nod if you grew up in like 84 or whatever the heck that came out. Um, you know, yes, you saw Zorro, but I, I liked that and didn't like that. It, I don't think they had to be so, I don't know, that was kind of weird for me. Um, but I didn't mind the tie in that, like, that's how his parents died. Oh my god! Uh, but I, I think you, you 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 didn't like it. I just realized. Oh my god! You're talking about that horror. That it's right. They reference that horrible George Hamilton Zora movie. Yes. Oh my god. Oh that my god. That bothered me a bit. I just just you saying it now. I was like, oh my god, that did come out in the '80s, and it was awful. Oh my god. It was stupid. It's funny. It's stupid, it's, but it's not great. That's for sure. It's so campy and bad. Yeah, it's camp. It's it's. It's George Hamilton. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I just realized it's that. Like, I just, I really didn't pay much attention to that because I was like, yeah, he sees Zorro, then the the gun, the shot, the death, the pearls. We've seen it all before. But now that you throw that out right. there, <laughs> that is horrible. 
which is fitting because tying I know they did it in the Keaton Batman and there it, it worked right it worked there here I find it hackneyed I find it lazy writing and I can't stand it well I think it's I think it was lazy writing in the Batman that um, Tim Burton did because the Joker never killed his parents I didn't like that at all and then then he, then he killed the Joker at the end which you don't do that either yeah like those are two really bad decisions in that oh, movie yeah. killing off the Joker was bad there's no question about that but you know we have we we can look back on that with 2020 vision because we are now no, I didn't like it I, I didn't like it at the time either I, I know it for a fact because I was waiting to see them like what the hell I I didn't love it back then and I didn't but you know as a whole I still think the Tim Burton Batman is like it's the the primordial primordial DNA that has now become the golden age of comic book movies we can link back to that eh, I don't know that's a different conversation. But so do you, you didn't like the writing. You didn't think you didn't like tying it to Batman hated at all. It. Absolutely hated it. And the reason is, first off, like I said, it's lazy writing. It's, it's so dumb. I can't stand it. But more importantly, they make such a big deal about this not being a comic book movie. And then they make it a Batman origin movie. No, just no, no, no. Let me throw this at you. What if all this stuff happened and actually Arthur Fleck is not the Joker and it's somebody that grew up at the same time and saw all this stuff happen. Maybe those riots did happen and it's actually a smarter person that actually becomes the real Joker. And Arthur Fleck was just a somebody who captured the media's attention at the time and somebody is now inspired by that particular person. And becomes the real Joker well, that's not, later that's on. That's not too far beyond. I mean, apparently there are three Jokers running around the DC universe. I mean, the comics. They've made allusions and well, actually they came out and pretty much said that. But um, you know what? Done right, I would be okay with that because you know it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts done well, and the it's, it's a force of nature. It should carry on. So. But that's key. They'd have to do it well, and it'd be very hard. It's a, it's a thin, it's, not thin. It's, it's a slippery slope to do it well. So, if done well, someone just took up the mantle of the Joker. I'm okay with that. But you know, now we're playing a lot of what ifs. I'm just right. So let me ask you, as we start to get to the end of the hour here, um, before before we wrap things up, would you recommend the film? Um, geez, man, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I highly recommend it. You guys know me. Like I, I would definitely go see it. I, I think even if you're not a comic book fan, like it's a good story. Like the story is good. The watching Joaquin act in it is worth the price of admission. Even if the other stuff doesn't like he's, he's very, very good in it. I think there's a lot of, things that you can take out of this film regardless of the comic book side of it and i would definitely recommend this film i i give this personally i give this a 7.5 or an 8 out of 10 personally it's a divisive film so i'll say this maybe watch it for joaquin's performance watch it for the cinematography watch it for the excellent score and maybe watch it before oscars just so you can see 
you know what what's the hubbub about what's your opinion don't see it in the theater wait till it streams because it's not worth seeing in the theater i mean it is a well-crafted film color sound everything it's it's well-crafted yeah well so is the coloring book yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day we'll find something that michael actually likes without <laughs> We did. I love the boys. The boys was absolutely the, one of the best comic book adaptations I've ever seen. I'm not. I'm not always negative. No, no, no. But I think you're hard to please. Yes, I am. Yeah, as I should be, as everyone should. Be. I'm a. I'm a little more open to interpretation of things. But at the end of the day, I do recommend this film. I think people should go see it. And do you think there'll do you think there'll be a sequel for this, Michael? I hope not. It's not what I asked you. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Warner Brothers makes all the worst decisions, so of course there's going to be a sequel. I'm interested to see if they do. Do you think that Robert Pattinson will tie into this? Oh, God. If they do, it already, that just you saying that has diminished my interest in the Robert Pattinson movie now. I'm not saying it will. I'm just curious if they'll do that. They weren't supposed to. If it does, I'll be upset. I'm already not impressed with Matt Reeves as the director, okay? What has he done? I'll give anybody a shot the first time. What has he done? I don't know. Cloverfield? Okay. I don't know. What did George Lucas do before he did American Graffiti? It's, uh, I don't know. You don't know until someone does it. American Graffiti was a fantastic film. It was. That's what I'm saying. We don't know. This isn't the 70s, though. Well... Art directors were given carte blanche to just create their art. I will say this too, though. Um, I, I real quick, uh, I was saying this to a friend of ours at work, and I think what's interesting now is I don't think people like thirty three and under ever really experienced Taxi Driver or King of Comedy, or even found them on accident on or like Apocalypse Now and. In Clockwork Orange, I don't think they found the uh, the majority of them. I know there are some that do. Obviously, that's there's there's a lot of people out there. I don't mean to paint a broad brush, but I don't believe that a lot of the people in the, of that age have found those movies. And I am interested to see how they take this movie because it is something that they're not used to. You know, in the last you know fifteen years since George Lucas made Star Wars, films changed. You know, and why Lucas made Star Wars was because of those films, the taxi drivers of the world. Everything was so down and down and down. He made this movie that was uplifting and for kids and that stuff wasn't happening. And from that moment on, we've had nothing but the blockbuster era. Like everything's been, it's got to be a blockbuster. Now, obviously there's been plenty of dark, dark films in that time period, but I'm talking ones that have been promoted and and that kind of thing. Um, So I'm interested to see, you know, how younger people take this. And I say younger as in like thirties and, down to twenties kind of thing. So younger millennials. Yeah. I don't know if they've ever encountered films like this. They don't have, okay. Taxi driver, apocalypse. Now, you know, King comedy, that's just an example. I mean, you're going to talk about a dark character piece. Let's go a little bit more modern. Let's go with drive. Yeah. But it, it still didn't feel like, like this. It didn't feel like taxi driver. No, there's a lot more, there's a lot more robust effects and, action kind of stuff in that. Drive? Yeah. Not really. It's a very small film. It's a very small mm. film. It's a good film. Oh, don't don't get me going. I can I can rave for hours about 
right we'll we'll talk we'll talk at some point anyways um anything else you want to add to this michael that that we missed uh no i think it just comes down to you know maybe if you want to jump into the zeitgeist and see what the deal is go see it um obviously listeners i know some people are have been asking for us to review this and they want to know our viewpoints now you've heard it joe loved it he loved many things about it i thought it was a noble effort there are many things i did love about it but for me the pieces didn't add up and i ultimately found it shallow and hollow joe thought it was perfect the way it was yeah i don't know if it's perfect but it was very very good i never said okay, perfect sorry. But you were you good. were happy with how it was. I wanted. More. I was happy with how it turned. I out. wanted more. So now it's your chance to tell us. So we're going to post this. We have a com- We have a website, kybercast.com. Leave a comment there if you would like. Uh, we're also. Yep. If we missed, uh, if we missed something about covering this movie that uh, we should have talked about, like maybe, do you think films should? Uh, you think films will incite violence, and should they be censored? That kind of thing. That's a whole discussion in and of itself. That's why I didn't really bring it up. But we maybe will talk about that another time. But if there's something that we missed that you wanted us to bring up later about this film, like Michael said, leave us a comment. Yep. You can find us at kybercast.com. Um, obviously, we're going to be linking to this uh, episode from Twitter, so you can tweet us there if you want to talk to us that way. It's also going to be posted on Facebook. So if you want to look for us, Kybercast on Facebook, you can leave a comment there. That seems to be the most active venue where we're seeing people leave comments mm-hmm. and allow uh, for Joe and I to interact with people. So doesn't mean you have to go to Facebook, though. If, Like you said, if you want to go straight to our website, go to that. If you want to go to Twitter, do that. Instagram, we're going to be there as well. If that's where you want to comment, do that. Joe, I think you need to remind everyone about something coming in November. Yeah, as usual, uh, November 8th through 10th, we'll be at Comic-Con for Grand Rapids. And we will be giving away two tickets. I'm going to say it, Michael. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, um, two tickets. Two, two tickets. Someone can't go by themselves. That's not nice. We'll find a way. I'll find a way. We'll get two <laughs> tickets for people to GR Comic-Con. Uh, Michael and I will talk this week on how we disseminate said tickets and how uh, we do that, but uh, we'll give those well, away. I'm going to tell you right now, um, if we're going to give away tickets, you got to either like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. That's It's got to be one of those three at least. Yeah, we'll, so, we'll we'll have a clear we'll have a clear thing, Michael. We'll we'll work it out. Yeah, so yeah, we'll have something. We're not clear. just giving these to any schlub. No, no, no. Uh, again, if this is your first time listening to the Cybercast, we thank you very much. If you've come back to listen to the Cybercast, we thank you very much. We don't ask for any money. We don't have any ads. But what we do ask is if, if you would please share this with a friend, let them know, turn them on to the Cybercast, and you can send them to anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, all those good places. Pod, what do you what do you listen to, Mike? Podbean. Uh, if you find us called? on TuneIn, you can also find us where I particularly use is Podbean. Podbean. Okay, I use Pocket Cast, but and Apple Podcasts. Anyways, that's on the bridge. Thank you for listening. Until next time, thank you so much. We are out. What a piece of junk. Shh.